I think it, I think it is my actually. I'm not even kidding. My most important life skill. Because I, I, if you go back and yeah. listen to early episodes of the show, as I think some people who just found out that I do a podcast on Twitter are doing right now, uh, you will find like I I would just not do ad reads because I would feel awkward about interrupting the flow of conversation. I wouldn't change topics ever. I was like so so shy about doing that. And now I'm like, it's happening. The sledgehammer is coming in. It's going to be true. awkward. I don't care. It's true. We got to go. We got to go. You're amazing. And on You're that amazing. note, hello and welcome to Rocket. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Simone, I've not talked to you all week. It's been an amazing week. Donald Trump did all that stuff that was just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe that- it's been a whole week since we spoke. Oh, amazing. Oh, However, insert many hours. There are oh, no Julia's week. back. Hey, that, everyone. Julia, Julia's back. Oh, my God. Wow. On a completely different week. This is amazing. <laughs> wow. I, I love that all the evergreen topics that we're going to talk about today that just happen to be evergreen. And it's because we're recording the show, of course. A week on later. The, day, the yeah. always day that we record it. It's fresh. Right. It's hot. Right. Right. Hello and welcome uh, to Rocket. Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by PDF Pen and Blue Apron. I'm Simone DeRoche for video producer at Polygon.com, and I'm joined tonight, of course, by Brianna Wu, Democratic candidate for Congress. And again, Julia Alexander, entertainment reporter at Polygon.com. How's it going? I I'm just trying to get over the 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 really big controversy that happened this week that's uh, going on Twitter right now. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a big really one. something, really something. Uh, can we talk a bit about why Christina isn't here? Since we can actually talk about it now, we can absolutely talk about that thing now. So so if you are following Christina on Twitter, you know that she has a sick new job and she is going to Seattle to work for Microsoft. Woo! Amazing. Awesome. Awesome. Hey guys, it's Christina. I have some big news. The reason I wasn't able to join Simone and Bree this week is because I'm busy packing up my entire life and moving to Seattle, Washington. That's right. Um, just a little over a year after Simone moved from Seattle to New York, Christina is moving to Seattle. I've accepted a job at Microsoft where I'm going to be working in the online learning division. I'm very excited. Um, that means um, brand new career, brand new city, lots of new changes. Fortunately, the one thing that won't change is Rocket. I'm still going to do Rocket. We're going to figure out how we will address anytime Microsoft news comes up. There will be disclosures and that sort of thing, and we'll figure out what makes sense for me to comment on and what makes sense for me to maybe keep my mouth shut. Um, but the good news is Rocket's going to continue. So um, I'm looking forward to continuing to do the show, albeit from a different coast. Uh, thanks all, thanks to all of you for, uh, for your comments on the show and for all of your support. And uh, next time I talk to you, I will be in Seattle. Oh, that is so awesome for her. That is such a huge opportunity. What I was so bizarre is how she's leaving one city. Like you leave Seattle to come to New York and then Christina finds herself doing the opposite. It's like, it's like trade. It's like the parent trap movie. I literally could not believe it when she uh, told us, um, she had to let us know, obviously, because there was a, uh, she had to clear it with Microsoft that she can still do the show and be on the show and everything. And I think that that's super cool. Uh, and we'll kind of deal with that uh, as it comes up, you know, in future shows. But I, uh, what a coincidence. 
what a weird freaking coincidence. So she said to it's us, what's the last place you would expect me to work? And we were like, hmm, I think I made a I made a joke guess that was very silly and I don't remember what it was. But my my first guess was actually going to be Microsoft if I hadn't been a goofer and made a goof. I guessed Google. I was wrong. I was can, wrong. Can awesome. we ask Christina once, or I guess can you guys ask Christina, and I will listen to it uh, as, a, <laughs> as a listener. On the podcast can we rocket? find out why Microsoft has had like – 9,000 conferences this month. <laughs> I keep putting, I keep opening Twitter and people are like, I'm at this Microsoft event. And I'm like, why don't you just wrap it into one day? <laughs> why are there four conferences? Anyways, that's my own issue. It's because they Microsoft were trying to, has, you know, polish it's a, up. It's a, it's a really weird organization. <laughs> I mean, you know, like uh, one of the stories I worked really hard to get out there was when you know, the GDC party where Microsoft hired all those women, you know, dressed like schoolgirls on pol- on polls. And, you know, the Xbox division is very different than, say, the HoloLens division. Because, like, you can go over there and, like, the, the women are treated really well. And then, you know, you go over to this division and it's like horror stories. So mm-hmm. I think it's just this huge sprawling organization with a ton of different uh, leadership styles. Yeah. I am... Very excited and happy for Christina. Looking yeah. forward to hearing all about Seattle, Christina. that place that I've never been. Uh, but for now, let's talk about a different company that uh, has stuff going on. Maybe not so great stuff because uh, Christina's not working there. But it's Nintendo. So, Bree, you <laughs> bit the bullet. You bought a Nintendo Switch, but because oh, of... Nintendo's stock shortages, you were not able to do it the traditional way and you had to bought or to bought. You had to bought it. <laughs> you had to buy an up upsold switch from uh, Lord I Lord even knows where. I did. I did. Um yeah, I wanted to do this story because yeah, Julia, you're here this week. I would I'd love to get your feedback on it. But so just to kind of give a, a history lesson to our listeners, uh, Nintendo's strategy from the beginning has been all about stock shortages. You know, this is a, a company that kind of grew up out of the playing card uh, phenomenon in Japan uh, in the 1800s. Um, you know, eventually they moved into electronics and, you know, the NES came out in 1985. And from the word go, they've been all about creating artificial shortages. So people are like rushing out to get it and to try to, you know, pick it up. And this is a strategy that worked like a, a dream with Game Boy, NES, Super Nintendo, uh, N64. But now, you know, we're in 2017. And the truth is consoles aren't distributed the way they used to, where, you know, KB toys would come and negotiate with Nintendo to get X number of units. Uh, You know, they're sold online. And the truth is this really complicated uh, technological operation has grown to find out when these things are sold uh, to go and capture as much of the stock as soon as possible to play, pay that MSRP price and then turn around and sell it in the secondary market on eBay and Amazon. So, you know, the, the markups here are extreme. Uh, for me, the absolute cheapest I could get a Nintendo Switch on Amazon at a scalper price was for $429 Ooh. through Amazon Prime. Like, and that's for the gray model. 
If you want the colorful model, you're going to look at paying at least $500. Uh, there are a lot of bundles where they'll put the Nintendo Pro Controller in it and Zelda and sell it for $600 or $700. And I want to tell you guys, like every single day, the first thing I do is I log on to Amazon and I try to find one at a reasonable price. I did the same thing with the Nintendo Classic. And I'm an adult with a job, and I can't go stake out Toys R Us in the morning to go get this. (laughs) And it's really frustrating, I think, that Nintendo is a company that their strategy from the beginning has been, we do not sell consoles at a loss. So they kind of compromise on cheaper quality to make some money from everything that they sell. But now this entire operation has grown on top of it. If Nintendo is making, I don't know, 20 or $30 from a Switch, yeah, scalpers are making $100 off of it. And I just think this is so damaging to Nintendo in the long run. It is wild. And we, like you said, we saw the same problem with the NES Classic. Uh, <laughs> and... I think it also happened, uh, someone will have to fact check me on this, but I think it also happened with the Wii. And it seems baffling, and we've written about this a lot on Polygon. Oh, we saw it with Mm -hmm. Amiibos. So many Amiibos going out of stock, just being completely unavailable. And at a certain point, it is just not a good look for Nintendo because either they don't understand at the somehow somehow they don't understand their supply and demand or they are intentionally creating these shortages because it makes it it really builds enthusiasm in people but it allows this sort of this gray market to erupt around their products which are consistently with the exception of the wii u incredibly popular and and it sucks that that's exactly no. That's exactly it. Like I, I was basically saying, we said someone. I have two minds when it comes to the way Nintendo handles Nintendo. They either have the worst case of imposter syndrome in a company ever, which yeah. is like we actually don't think our products are good. No one's going to buy them. We're not going to sell them, and they just don't produce them. Or, and this would be even worse. I think I can almost empathize with that. Or they are trying to be. Supreme. They are trying to be any type of clothing label that's like, we're only going to sell a hundred of these because we want this to be an exclusive club, um, which you can't be as, first of all, a uh, technology company. You just can't. And two, especially if you're trying to say we want this to get in the hands of every child who wants a Nintendo Switch, then or an NES Classic is a great example, Simone, then why are you doing this? The exclusivity thing works really well with the Amiibos. It's like, hey, there's only a certain level of Amiibos. You can buy them at like trade shows or you can go to conventions and they're there. Maybe you can trade them. It doesn't work for an actual console. You can't say we're trying to make an exclusive line of consoles and then try to sell millions of games on them. That is a really good freaking point. And I think it absolutely stands because uh, of, again, the market that they're going for here. Like you mentioned, Nintendo stuff is really popular with families. It's not just people like our age who grew up with Nintendo stuff. Again, me excluded. As you know, I didn't grow up with Nintendo stuff. But a lot of people my age (laughs) have like intense Nintendo nostalgia. But they understand like they're looking at this and seeing what Nintendo's doing and being like, ah, good old Nintendo. A parent or an older person or like a kid who is getting into this now. These are not markets who understand why this console is not accessible. Like if I were a parent who was not 
up and up on the game and console news and i was trying to get the freaking nintendo switch for my kid i just want or i just wanted to get my kid a console i want to get my Mm -hmm. kid a console i've heard good things about the switch it's not available and it won't be available for ten thousand years and i have to go to ebay and get one there no i'm gonna buy a different console because that's that's how the market works. Exactly. The, and, exactly. And like you said, Amiibos are a different case, I think. You're totally right about that because everyone can, everyone kind of understands toy exclusivity. Exactly. But not console exclusivity. And that's I, – I just don't understand at all where they're coming. It's so interesting to me that Nintendo is one of the only companies that does understand this. And I think Nintendo's at a really interesting and great point in its uh, lifespan where it's – I think the first time in a very long time that both adults – who have grown up with Nintendo products and kids who are growing up with Nintendo products are, are interested. You could sell twice as much at this point without question, but you keep shortening your supply for reasons no one understands, for reasons you won't give an answer to. Mm-hmm. Like people have asked about this, and I think the closest anyone got was The Verge. Um, yes, which disclaimer is a Vox Media site. <laughs> I think The Verge got, I think Reggie said something like, sometimes we our math is wrong. Sometimes we make mistakes. That is the closest anyone has ever gotten, I think, to an explanation of Nintendo as to why they don't sell more consoles or more units of anything. Mm -hmm. And on the same token, they absolutely, I believe, said in response to the NES Classic thing, oh, we didn't expect it would be so popular. What? What? What world are you living in? And that makes that's fine answer for the first round. Yeah. (laughs) At that point, you call up your... Uh, distributors and you call up your suppliers and it's like, hey, we need to make 10 times as many because people want – you're just saying no to money. You're just well, saying no, we don't want people to spend – what if you then take the product off the market and stop making them entirely because people want them too much? And the, like I don't – and then it results in you know what uh, Brianna had to go through and every – a lot of other people, a lot of people on staff where it was like, I really want this. I will pay a sculptor. You know, it's fine. I'll do it. But this is exactly the same issue that the music industry faced five years ago. It's still kind of facing, but it was like, hey, we're only going to sell a certain amount of tickets because, hey, only a certain amount of people can fit in an arena. And 25% of those tickets, there was a great article. um, I can't remember who wrote it, but it was years ago. There's a great article showing that like 25% of these tickets were being bought by scalpers. So it was like, hey, there's, we'll just get online. These are the same people that when you at, when you go on to, any type of article, it's like, oh, there's NES classics, and they're going to be in stock at Best Buy last time. The comments are all just sculptors going like, I'm going to line up, I'm going to buy three of them, and then I'm <laughs> going to sell them for twice. And it's like, that's the market you're creating at this point. Yeah. So what do you think the answer is for this? Because I think some of the reasoning behind it, you know, I've... I feel like I understand this a little bit more, you know, being married into an Asian family, that there is a real hierarchy to the way Nintendo operates. Mm-hmm. And like, I think the classic thing is when, uh, you know, they claimed that uh, NES Remix would never be able to run on the 3DS. It was too technically competent. As an engineer, I'm just like, that's a complete lie. <laughs> and then everyone at, at Nintendo is just like, yep, of course, we'll say that, we'll parrot it. Or when the the chief of design for the 3DS came forward and said, you know, it would be impossible for us to make it any thinner. We've already used all our tricks. That's an actual <laughs> quote they gave journalists. And it's just like a, a complete lie. So I, I do think some of it is cultural. And I think the other half of it is I think that Nintendo's fan base 
does let them get away with it. Like I do another show, uh, Disruption, with Steve Lubitz, and he, I swear, I am this close, I'm this far away for going and kidnapping him in my car and taking him to Nintendo reprogramming camp <laughs> because it does not matter what bad decision they make, he will give them their money and then buy it for his kids as well. So there, there's something with that they're being enabled to continue this kind of bad behavior. And at the same time, it's like, what are the answers here? You know, can you expect them to give up this uh, kind of shortages strategy? No, I don't think they'll do that. Are they going to like work more closely with Amazon to like cut down these frauds? Amazon has really been laissez-faire and hands off Mm -hmm. with that. So I don't see any kind of future where they wake up because they're like a, you know, they're like a junkie that keeps making bad decisions and everyone in their life is enabling them. I think that's a really interesting point. And I think that's something that doesn't get brought up enough. And that's Amazon uh, and the way that they deal with things. Amazon I've is a company I've dealt with for quite a long time that I will continue dealing with because they are overtaking the world. Um, and everything from their retail side to their entertainment and like studio side they are they don't deal with certain companies and nintendo is one of those companies where it's like hey we're gonna be here to sell things for them like we'll do that but that is the extent of it we've seen it with apple where amazon's like we're not even gonna deal with you because we don't want to deal with the price breakdown of how we're going to distribute um profit and i think amazon because they're as big as they are and because they have they dominate the the e uh, retail market as well as they do? They don't have to answer for having scalpers and third parties. Like they just ignore it because people are going to buy it anyways. And I think it's fascinating that when we talk about the lack of supply, which is definitely Nintendo's fault, I think it's really interesting that we never ask about Amazon's complacency with the scalper market on their site. And yeah. part of this is because they make money off it. Why would they try to stop it? At the end of the day, it's not hurting anyone. They're making money. Even if the feedback from their regular shoppers, from prime subscribers and prime members are, are negative, it doesn't matter to them. And I've always wanted mm-hmm. to – like, I've always wondered what Jeff Bezos has to think – like has to say about that. Like if Jeff Bezos was trying to find a Nintendo Switch for his kid and he couldn't on Amazon, he had to go through a scalper. Like I would love to know what his opinion on that would be. <laughs> No, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And Take I also that, think Jeff. <laughs> just, just, just one more thing before we move on. And Julian Simone, you guys can talk about this much better than I can because I've never worked with Nintendo. Well, other than one time, I've never worked with them on a, a journalism thing. Uh, but like, oh, hmm, I'm not going to give the name of this reporter, but she worked for a major publication that was not necessarily tech or game focused. And she was having to give a story on Nintendo. And she wrote me because their press people were being so controlling and weird (laughs) about stuff that she had no idea how to deal with it. And she's like, I have to give them all my questions ahead of time. So I need to make sure I have them all written down. And Mm -hmm. I don't know games enough for this. And like, I'm I'm having like this two hour conversation with her just to like, okay, this is Nintendo's press game. This is what you need to know. I mean, they, they are not someone that will give you a straight answer as I understand. I mean, is that correct? They, they have a line and they don't deviate to that. And I mean, that's part of why they're one of the, 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 it's a very tight ship there. 
Like, famously, they have not had many leaks until just this last year or so when uh, those leaks uh, leaks seem to increase there. Uh, they they have their stuff together in so many ways that it does make it hard to believe that they don't have their stuff together with this uh, the supply issue. Yeah, and I think yeah, Polygon's relationship with Nintendo is probably similar to many other outlets. Um, we take think, what they give. <laughs> we take what they give, and, and <laughs> we you, have Nintendo. We do, we, Thank we you. Do have, we do have a good relationship with them. I mean, they joke around with us on Twitter about one of our shows. Please retweet, <laughs> which stars uh, one of our producers, Pat Gill. And I mean, so we do, we have a, a good relationship with them. But when it comes to yeah, like hey, we can we get an answer on this? It's like Simone said, it's perfect line. It's just a tight ship. They are very mm-hmm. in control of what they want to put out and what they want people to know. And I respect them for it. Like that's yeah. what you're supposed to do as a PR representative for a company. Yeah, yeah, I think that's very solid. This episode, I don't of respect them for it. But wow, <laughs> yeah, okay, that's me. That's me. Yeah. New title, Brianna Wu disrespects Nintendo. <laughs> Actually, headline of my next article. No. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Smile. Gosh, that's what I've been trying to say all along. PDF Pen from Smile specifically. And PDF Pen equips you with everything you need to know for more powerful PDF editing. Yes, you can be all powerful in editing your PDFs. And we have some awesome news today. The new PDF Pen 9 is available. And it is not just a powerful tool for editing PDFs. It is the ultimate tool for editing PDFs. You can literally be a PDF supervillain. You can edit (laughs) every PDF. Access to every PDF, not available. Only your own PDFs. Please don't use PDF Pen for evil. It is a powerful tool for good. You can upgrade to PDF Pen 9 to go totally paperless and enjoy over 100 enhancements that will improve your PDF editing workflow. Some of the great new features are adding notes, comments, and cloud annotations to PDF documents, filling out and signing interactive PDF forms, accessing set annotations and their content in the sidebar and copying annotation content as text. What? Yes. You can also find and highlight all instances of a word uh, along with being able to remove OCR text layers and create links to other PDF files. Finding and highlighting all instances of a word, very useful. Can look back on my, uh, my rent contract and think, of instances when I just wanted to like go through it. Do I have a smoke alarm? Is it do, is it necessary? Is it legal for me not to have a smoke alarm? What does the contract say about having a smoke alarm? I'm not saying anything about my status as a smoke alarm haver or not haver. Perhaps I'm just saying that I I you know I I was curious about what the contract said about my having a smoke alarm. Being able to find and highlight all instances of speaking of smoke alarms could save your life, folks. PDF Pen 9. You have the option to export in grayscale and to JPEG, PNG, and 1-bit TIFF files. PDF Pen Pro 9 enhances table of contents editing and adds OCR for Chinese, Japanese, and Korean text. So you can edit your documents wherever you are, whatever language they're in. That's PDF Pen 9. And you can, of course, use iCloud and Dropbox for totally seamless editing in the cloud. Check it out today at smilesoftware.com slash rocket. And thank you so much, PDF Pen from Smile, for supporting our cool show. 
I'm Amazing. so thirsty. <laughs> so good. Thirsty so good. for PDF pens. What up, folks? Um, wow. Okay. Tesla. My favorite. Tesla. Oh, wow. Tesla this is, has this pre-orders. is a cool story. Yeah, it's, it's freaking awesome. Tesla now has pre-orders for a solar roof. What? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so Brianna, you were you brought this story to us uh because you you were obviously I I care deeply I'm about solar it. energy. I'm into it. But, I mean, you yeah. know, it's it's boring stuff to talk about. Well, I don't think it's boring. I, I don't think either. it's freaking awesome. So one of the things I'm specifically running on in District 8 is you know, we are a district that is kind of neglected in terms of, uh, you know, the economic prosperity of the rest of Boston. It's a lot of union people out there. And one of the industries I really want to bring out to District 8 is renewable energy. We have like a hyper-educated workforce uh, at MIT and the 127 colleges in Boston. And, you know, I think this is a good mix with the, uh, you know, the high amounts of skilled union labor out there. So I am all in on renewable energy for a million different reasons. It's awesome for national security. It's awesome for economics. It's awesome for stopping us from getting involved in wars for energy. Um, it's just awesome. So, you know, Tesla came out with this product and it is so much better than a traditional roof tile. They've got this cool uh, GIF that you can see of uh, them shooting hail at various tiles from a cannon. And what? they'll fire, yes, it's awesome. And they'll fire the hail and it will, you know, break different kinds of roofs. Uh, it just like bounces right off of the t- uh, Tesla solar tile. And, you know, it doesn't cost, it's cheaper than an asphalt roof. And I don't know if either of you have ever had to replace an asphalt roof, but it's yep. terrible. I cannot recommend it. Yep. <laughs> it's gross and smelly and terrible for the environment. But this is, you know, as far as the total cost of a home, like if I go out in Boston and I buy a decent house, it's going to cost a quarter of a million dollars. I, I'm sorry, half a million dollars at least. Uh, and you know, in the rest of the country, you're looking at you know probably two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars in many places. Yeah, you know, the cost of getting a, a roof done, even without uh, tax credits, is going to be thirty thousand dollars added onto it, and that's like <laughs> in the total cost of a house over a lifetime to never have to pay an electric bill. I mean, it's just such a no-brainer that I think this is just really exciting. So, I mean, what do all you think? That's freaking wild. And this is this is really exciting to me, I guess, from a, a social perspective to see. Obviously, Tesla has a, a product here and they're selling that product. But it is really cool and heartening to see companies investing in something like this, which is not widespread on a consumer level, but is good for the planet and for all consumers like there there is uh it's obviously again a product so it's not totally altruistic but it's very foresightful and i think considerate of the planet and cool that they are investing in this and um actually putting it out on the market for people to buy that makes me really happy uh, i will a note just Bree. i think you said that it was 
cheaper than an asphalt roof. I wanted to make sure that you're not misspeaking. No, it's I meant not, it was yeah. more expensive. It yeah, was it's, more it's expensive like between. Than a, yeah, yeah, between it's um, cheaper on the whole than installing a regular roof, but Correct. not cheaper than asphalt. But I'm like sorry, you said, asphalt I is garbage. Miss, I misspoke uh, there. Sorry about it's that. All good. Yeah, yeah. No, the cool thing about. So I think Elon Musk gets a lot of uh, CEO of uh, Tesla. I think he gets a lot of Tesla. Oh, my goodness. <sighs> One of those days, people. Yeah, I'm um, <laughs> It's just a day. But uh, he gets a lot of flack for his ideas because he is very – he has uh, visions of what he wants to do. He's but, a dreamer. But I think he is. He's a dreamer. He's got – you know, he wants he, – he's been very vocal about wanting to move to space. Like, he is out there. But – what I really appreciate about him, what he doesn't get enough credit for, is that he wants to so much to make the planet green as green as possible, and he wants to do it in a way that most not not say most that uh, quite a few people can afford. He wants to make going green cheaper than it than it has been. That's why when you look at Tesla, which is don't get me wrong, is is definitely an expensive car, is an expensive car compared to the other mo- uh, models of cars in its tier. Though it's really not. For $30,000, you're going to get a very, very luxurious, eco-friendly car. And that's a lot. Uh, I mean, that's – sorry, that's pretty cheap as anyone who's ever bought a new car knows. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other side of it, he wants to make putting in these kind of solar panel roofs not the cheapest way you can do it. But if you want it to go green, it's not the most it, – it's, it's not the most expensive it's been. It's actually pretty cheap in that – you know, for what you're going to get in that um, sector – and I think he deserves a lot of credit for trying to make this as cheap as possible while trying to keep the earth as, as clean as possible um, while he attempts to figure out how to get people from Los Angeles to San Francisco in 20 minutes and, <laughs> and his other things that he's got going on. I think he's – and like Simone said, this is not altruistic. This is a product. He is going to profit off of it. But what's cool about Elon Musk and all that I've read about him, and I really admire him as a as a, as a human, just as someone who's, who's got his, these ideas – I think it's interesting that he's taking that money and, yes, paying thousands of employees and having enough money for himself to kind of live on very well. He's also pouring that into his other ventures to try and keep the world as green as possible, which is like, let's figure out how to do public transportation better. Let's figure out how to get people to Mars so they can live there because the Earth is dying. Like, I think (laughs) he's such an interesting person. And this is just another example of how he's going about changing using technology to make the earth a better place. Yeah, Yeah, I definitely agree. I have to say, I have friends of mine that uh, I'm not going to give away their positions, (laughs) but I have friends of mine that have worked directly for him at various companies. And he is, I I hear he's a nightmare to work for. He goes kind of from one idea to another. He can't Mm -hmm. focus on something. Mm -hmm. He explains why big divisions are left unattended for a long time. But I I want to kind of disagree with you guys on something very, very minor. And Mm -hmm. I think like there is certainly a, a green energy argument for this, and it's an excellent one. But to me, the the argument for us moving towards solar. It's it's really it's more national security. I think that is a really interesting argument for this. Like the the cost currently of us building a traditional uh, fossil fuel power plant is currently equal to building one that uses renewable energy. In another five years, it's actually going to be cheaper to throw away the fossil fuel plant and replace it with a renewable energy power plant because the cost savings are there. 
and it takes more people to run it, which is awesome because then that that's building up new energy. Uh, it, it helps with energy independence in the United States. The, the more and more we aren't dependent on you know, other sources of energy here in the United States, that means we don't have to like prop up dictators in other countries. It means we don't have to negotiate on certain trade deals. It's better for national security. Uh, from like a strategic point of view, the more we can maximize our knowledge of renewable energy, like China is making huge, huge, huge investments in this right now. And if the United States doesn't match up and like stop relying on people like Elon, you know, <laughs> like they are going to control key technologies that can be used for war, can be used for infrastructure, can be used for many different commercial applications. So we're really at a unique position where, yes, the green argument is the first one that comes up here, but this makes sense across a, a range of disciplines. And I just, I think there's really no reason not to do this. Another one is it's cheaper for city infrastructure, mm-hmm. right? Like running an electrical grid is, I don't know if either of you like journalistically have ever had to like look at how much it costs for say to maintain like an electrical grid, but it's, it's a nightmare. It's terrible for the environment. So, you know, there, there are a lot of side questions here. Like something I think is very interesting is Tesla also released the Powerwall at the same time. Mm-hmm. And while these tile roofs will last for, you know, they have a lifetime warranty and at least 30 years for other parts of it, uh, a Powerwall is much more interesting. So this is built to be a backup so you can have energy at night. Uh, and in the you know event of an outage, this just built up for you. Uh, and the cost of that isn't terrible. Like I looked at it from my house and, uh, it would be about $10,000, but like swapping out those batteries all the time, like then you're talking about taking apart a wall and it just, <laughs> that quickly sounds like it's going to get to be an expensive proposition. That's the one part of this I'm not sold on. And that's, that's, this is the main issue. This has always been the main issue with going green. If you ask a hundred people, how many of them would want to save the planet if they could, a hundred of them are going to say yes. I mean, unless someone's a real dick, but uh, (laughs) most of them are going to say, yeah, I want to say the planet. The next question, because we're human and we all work really hard, is how much is this going to cost me? Because if I can't afford it, bottom line, if I can't afford it, or two, if I can trade in having a solar panel roof for a week in Mexico every year with my family, people are going to go down that route. And I think the most important thing that Elon Musk or whatever company, because he has inspired a lot of other uh, young entrepreneurs who want to get into this field, if they can get the price down to match what the less the the cheaper option is, then I think you'll see people tune into these other reasons. They say, yeah, I'll save the planet, but also it's more secure. It, it's, it, it is more secure and that that feels good. And we can have all these different reasons of why we should do it. But until they figure out a way to get that down to as cheap as possible, it's not going to happen. And the other thing being like you were saying about the wall brand, it's a great example. That's been the whole issue with Tesla trying to sell in areas that are not major cities. Because the main question is, where am I going to charge it? Mm. You go to San Francisco or LA or New York or Boston. Yeah, there's places to go because it's a major metropolitan area that tend to be very tech forward. There's a lot of people who invest in this. You can't walk down the street in San Francisco without walking by a Tesla. So they have lots of charging stations. You can park at a mall and there's a charging station. 
somewhere in Nebraska or Wyoming, a small town, a rural town, is not going to have a charging station. And mm-hmm. to fill up a, ga- a Tesla with gas every week, every two weeks, gets super expensive. So until we get the price down and we can make this more accessible to people and, and not make it more of a, a concern they have to deal with in their daily lives, I think it's going to be a really hard sell. Well, I think that's where tax credits come in. Because again, like for me, like one of the things I would look at a lot is how can we bring more jobs into Massachusetts, right? Mm -hmm. So the government is very happy to spend money to spur job creation. And, you know, we'll build tanks and bombs and, you know, these things we need to keep America safe. That's awesome. But to me, I think the, the overall economic argument for this is so strong because it helps like it helps create jobs. It helps, you know, uh, abate global warming. It helps uh, national security. It helps lower municipal costs. Like all those are smart investments for a community. And honestly, when you're talking about tax credits, like a few thousand for a solar panel roof is negligible with what the city is going to reap in the long term. So mm-hmm. I think that what we need to do is have you know, people in Congress that understand this and are willing to fight for it. Because to me, it's just a no brainer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Blue Apron, the number one recipe delivery service that has oh. the freshest ingredients. Brianna. Yes. Ah, it's your favorite. It's your favorite it's my again. My favorite, Simone. Ah. It's your thing. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with fresh, high quality ingredients to make delicious home cooked meals. If you could see me right now, I'm throwing out my hands to punctuate where it's like fresh and delicious. These are these are these deserve hand gestures from me to my empty bedroom. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone while supporting a more sustainable food system. Yeah. And setting high standards for ingredients and building a community of home chefs. Just another day's work. Blue Apron Seafood is sourced sustainably under standards developed in partnership with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. That's the, if you ever want to just have massive anxiety, think about uh, things like seafood and how we're murdering the oceans. So and in destroying farmland. So not with seafood, obviously, with other animals that live on the farmland. So it's really cool. Again, the Blue Apron is thinking about this stuff and making sure that their food is responsibly sourced so that you can eat the delicious food without feeling guilt about ruining the earth ruining it you know <laughs> you gotta you gotta subscribe or else you're ruining the earth a little hardline message this week for y'all i've been i've been too soft on you this week i'm going hard sustainable farming blue apron each meal comes with a step-by-step easy to follow recipe card and proportioned ingredients you don't even have to measure you don't you just follow up read read Put things, open things, put things in, cook things for amounts of time that are told to you, and then you have delicious food. It's like the easiest way you could possibly feed yourself a delicious meal that isn't top ramen. Put the top ramen down. Put it down. That's not a delicious meal. That's not That's not nutritional. Stop it. Blue Apron. Choose a new variety of recipes every week. Customize it to your schedule. How many days a week do you want to get food sent to you that you can cook? You get to decide. You get to decide how much food goes to you. And you get to decide what that food is. 
I had some air in my throat there, so I made have made a little burping sound. <laughs> I'm just going to roll with it. I'm probably thinking about Blue Apron food. I don't dig fish. I don't have to get fish if I sign up with Blue Apron. I don't have to worry about them foisting fish on me. They're sustainable fish. I don't want sustainable fish. I don't even want bad fish. I don't want any fish. I don't have to eat fish. I could have beef teriyaki stir fry with sugar snap peas and lime rice. I could have three cheese and baby broccoli stromboli with tomato and oregano dipping sauce. Oh my God, that sounds good. I can have baked spinach and egg flatbread with sauteed asparagus and lemon aioli. And you know what I wouldn't have? I wouldn't have crispy salmon and roasted potato salad with pickled mustard seeds and creme fraiche sauce. What? I wouldn't. Their salmon is always the best, Simone. That's because it's sustainable, Brie. It's extremely sustainable. And I still wouldn't eat it, even though it's probably amazing, because I just don't like fish, you guys. But if you like fish, you can sign up for Blue Apron. They deliver to 99% of the continental U.S. You can just do that. Eat the sustainable salmon. I want the best for you. Check out this week's menu and get three meals free with your first purchase, including free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash rocket. Make the delicious food in your home. Thank you, Blue Apron, for supporting Rocket and Relay FM. Julia, is Simone like this? Like when she's talking about doing errands, like I am going to like, does she go into this and she's like doing laundry or going out so, to the store? <laughs> Yeah. I spend, um, no, Simone is usually, Simone's a little bit more, I think, subdued at home because I think she's yeah. very much relaxing, but uh, Simone can attest this. I spend a most, I spend most of my nights at my partner's place, so when Simone has a moment of, like, doing something really funny, she'll just tweet me or she'll text me <laughs> and she'll be like, I just want you to know that this is what you missed this morning while you were gone. Um, also, Simone and I have opposite sleep patterns. Simone is a night owl who will stay yeah. up till 3 a.m. ranting yeah. about Fitzgerald. Uh, and I am someone who goes to bed at like 10 p.m. so I can get up at 6 so I can go to work really early. Um, yeah, so, so when yeah, I said we that act- we live together, it's really just more of a, a – our objects are in the same space. Yeah, yeah. So Simone <laughs> and I see each other like on Sundays and it's really nice. Simone will like and read and I will drink my coffee. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful Sunday always with Julia and Simone, who should have a reality TV show, except <laughs> we that should. it would be, that we be in the same room. <laughs> Honestly, it would just be me sitting alone for hours and then you sitting alone for the rest of the hours and then us occasionally tweeting at each other. And that's the show. So the topic number three is something that has been curious to me for a long time. And I want you, Julia, to explain it to me. The internet freaking loves Cars yeah. 3. Yeah. <laughs> Every time we post a story about it, it blows up. It's – I I've never even watched the Cars movies. I haven't either. I've heard that I've they're mediocre. I have very little to contribute. Why does the internet love Cars 3? Let me break it down for you. So my greatest passion in life, the my only passion is like weird internet culture. Um, and it happens to just most of the time correlate to video games and or entertainment. So it works out well for me. This is a fascinating, weird subsection of the internet that is obsessed with Cars 3. So Cars 1 and 2, whatever, fine movies. I mean, Cars 2 is not great, but Cars was fine. Spawned its own spinoff called Planes, which did terribly did not go anywhere. Um, I forgot Cars, that existed. Yeah, it's a whole thing. Cars 3, to give you a breakdown, there's a main character, the main car. His, call, his name is Lightning McQueen. He's voiced by Owen Wilson. Uh, he 
in this movie, there's a major accident. So for a long time, we didn't know if he was alive or dead. And <laughs> this is this led to they played this trailer uh, during right before Moana, and the reports that came out of it, we reported on this. Was that or that kids started crying because oh, they were like, no. "Oh my god, Lightning McQueen is dead!" Like they killed him. Um, Lightning McQueen, as far as we know, is not dead at this point. Uh, he is just injured. The interesting thing about it is that Cars Three, this whole idea of Cars Three, gives birth or gives credit, I should say, to a theory about where the humans are. Because there's no humans in Cars Three in, in the Cars universe. There's none. So people, the question has always been, well, "Where are the humans?" So Cars 3 and this, the the near death of Lightning McQueen and the advancement of technology in Cars has led to this the the visionary behind the Cars universe basically saying, well, the Cars and the the universe of Cars exists in an era so far beyond us right now that driverless the driverless cars, which is a technology that we're all very aware of, um, have become the dominant kind of life force, and so they don't need humans. And so these cars, oh my god, yeah. And so these cars oh kind of are are born and exist on their own, but they have a soul, um, and their souls are transferred between cars when something happens to them. So the whole theory is that if Lightning McQueen died, his soul would be transferred to another car's uh, body. This that is, is wild huge theory. It is. It's a lot to get into. Oh, like oh it's a. Whole, you, I could write a ten thousand word report on this. Um, but the latest trailer today touches upon this more than anything else, which is the idea that uh, he is being. He's an obsolete car because he doesn't have technology that makes him as driverless as other cars, <laughs> which has spawned a debate because it happens to come out at the same time that Uber is trying to fight for driverless technology. And it, the whole question is, well, are, is driving going to be obsolete? So the two have found a way. It, it's a weird moment when kids' movies and technology intersect in a way that it has. Uh, but it's become a huge debate where people have been talking about it nonstop. The movie comes out next month. Oh, and my. And it's just huge. That's deeper than I even thought it was. Yeah. yeah. That's weird. I mean, help me understand this. Who, what? <laughs> I, I just can't imagine the average Polygon reader is like, okay, Call of Duty 2. I want to read about that. Okay, give me all the stuff about social links and Persona 5 <laughs> and coverage of Cars 3. I just they love I, it. I don't understand that. I'm yeah. going to walk you through, uh, Brandon, because I think you might appreciate this. I know Simone will. I don't think I've told Simone this. The first time we put up a Cars 3 trailers, because I'm super into anything Pixar and Disney. Like, I'll watch it. And so, I'm yeah, I'm excited for Cars 3. And the first trailer comes out, or the teaser, actually. The teaser comes out, and it's this huge – all it is, it's 20 seconds. It's Lightning McQueen's body flying through the air. There's a fiery <laughs> crash, and that's it. And so, I was like, oh, my God, they killed Lightning McQueen. I, I have to – I, like, personally need to write about this. So, I wrote it, had a conversation with Chris Grant, who's the EIC of Polygon, and he was like, I don't I don't know. He had the exact same thing. He was like, I don't know if our readers are going to care. Put it on the site. It is like the top story for two days. What? Like, it is the only thing people are clicking on. So we're like, maybe it's a one-off. Next trailer comes out because we live in an era where you get 30 trailers before the movie. Next trailer comes out, a little bit more detail, and I kind of write about it. And I, it does. It's our top story for the full day. So then I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do a little bit of beat reporting, which is what I do um, – my main job here is just following up on beats. And I'm like, I'm going to figure out what people have had. So I wrote up the kids are crying, kids are not reacting well, Disney's trying to cover up what's – Disney's trying to cover their own ass and make it seem like, you know, everything's fine. Did a bunch of stories. 
every time we put these stories up, they were the top story for one or two days. It's to the point where Chris Grant DM'd me at one point on Slack, uh, which is what we use for communication, and all he said was, I don't get it, but it works. And I was <laughs> like, yeah. And what this comes down to is that we are the first uh, – kids who grew up in the late 80s and, and the 90s and, and then obviously beyond. We're the first generation of kids that grew up re-watching the same movie over and over again, like Lion King or whatever because VHS was a thing. And so people started watching it. Add into that that this was around the time that kids were getting online. So there were forums where they could talk about what they wanted to talk about. So Disney and Pixar happened to come into this moment where people could obsess over something. And they obsess over theories and they obsess over, over characters and everything. And that's how you get these weird subcommunities. Anytime we write about Disney or Pixar, it does really well. And we all happen to care about it. Like, there's never a stronger debate in our office than when there's something Disney or Pixar related. Wow. That is yeah, wow. like we Like, uh, Nick Robinson, who I lovingly refer to as the internet's Nick Robinson, uh, he is our video producer at Polygon. He does a bunch of shows. Uh, he tweeted basically that min- that baby group in the new Guardians of the Galaxy movie was essentially a minion, which is the most offensive thing you can say. Like, you call <laughs> someone a minion, capital That's M. That's kind of true, though. It's That's the most kind offensive of true. thing. It's the most offensive And so this sparked a debate that went on for hours. That was like, is, and I wrote a piece. I wrote a 1,400-word article investigating whether Baby Groot was a minion. And it's like one of those things where minions are are so weird and it's universal, but it was it's become this huge comparison. So the joke online right now is like, is Cars 3 the next minion or is Guardians the next minion? And so I think when you take these weird kids movies that teenagers and adults become obsessed with, you get really weird subsects on the internet that just find things to talk about. Um, and it turns out that writing for an internet audience – they happen to be interested in internet culture. And I think Cars 3 is a perfect example of a movie being co-opted, if you will, by internet culture. In a, in a surprisingly positive way, unlike in many of really the other ways way. things <laughs> co-opted by the internet. Yeah. Unlike Minions, which got co-opted by the alt-right, yeah. <laughs> uh, Cars 3 People just got co-opted. People just want to know if Lightning McQueen is okay. They're just bored teens. It's bored people on Twitter who yeah, are like, that's it. like I'm just gonna- if, if you could tell me, like, okay, the thing we're going to debate today is – what happened to Lightning McQueen in this Cars 3 teaser? I'm like, yeah, I'll read that because I'm avoiding the political news. I'm avoiding every other kind That's of news. That's what it is. And I'm also avoiding, like, whatever I should be doing. That's oh what it is. God. And I had a conversation with my editors about, uh, like, I'm sure every other journalist around the country did after Trump, you know. And it was the election. Everyone was feeling really down. And and I remember we talked about this Polygon and um, our Chris had a really great – phrase or like I really the exact line, but it was really great. And it was, we can be this refuge for people who don't want to think about it, who just want to read about video games or entertainment or like stupid things like Cars 3. They just want to get away from it all. And I think what we're, and that's what we try to do. Like we try to try to create a, a, as positive a space as we can. So that way people can get away from it. And I know I really need that within this political landscape. And what I think we're seeing is exactly what you said, Simone, is you're seeing people obsess over things they normally wouldn't because mm-hmm. it's funny and it's stupid. And it for a couple of minutes, it's like, hey, I don't need to think about the fact that we are living in a really terrifying time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's what Cars 3 is. Cars 3 is – it will probably do very well because kids are going to go watch it because it's a kid's movie. And these weird – 
teenagers and adults yeah, including who myself not, I include myself not have in that, otherwise gone to it who are, are gonna obsessed be like, with it yeah or like I'm oh gonna go God. watch it and so yeah if you like it there's weird communities and um it's something that we I report on pretty yeah, often. Yeah, all the links Polygon. are in uh, to both the all these stories that we're talking about are in the show notes. So about the Cars Three trailer, the trailers in there, the Baby Group Minion stories are in there. And I'm going to ask you, Julia, what you're up to this week. Uh, <gasps> this week, what am I up to? Uh n- just just a, a lot of work. It's going to go see Alien Covenant. Very excited oh, for that. You suck. Very, very yeah. excited. Go see Alien Covenant. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe just, I'm, I'm going to try and uh, and not work for a couple, you know, take like a weekend. We'll yes. See how that goes. Please yeah. do. Please take a yeah. weekend off, Julia. I support this. <laughs> uh, what am I, what are what is Brie rather doing this week? I am so excited. Uh, by the time people hear this, I am going to be at the Nebula Awards, and I'm going to be handing out the award to either Rogue One or Arrival or some other that amazing so science fiction movie. So I'm very honored that they asked me to uh, show up and give that award out. Uh, also, my husband is up for a uh, for a, some award. I don't know what it is. It's <laughs> Just some, some something. freaking award. It's <laughs> some something prestigious award. Story work. Oh, that's I, so cool! I, I should be a better wife and know more about that, but I don't. So, <laughs> I'm trying to Google yes. it to find out what he's up for. Um, he he's up for some award. Yeah, I I'll someday. Some well, you know what? A fan, Frank Wu fans out there, please help us out. Uh, <laughs> I am in France this week. Hey, if Woo! you're listening to this, I'm in France. And the I'm connection not on is Twitter. so good, Simone. I know, it isn't it amazing? It sounds like you're right here in America. Wow. Yeah, all the way from France. Um, Bonjour. <laughs> visiting my dad with my brother. Uh, it's a. I imagine that it's a good time that I'm having here in France. <laughs> um, <laughs> Brianna, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at uh, SpaceCatGal. And if you want to support my campaign for Congress, you can go to supportbrianna.com. And I have to tell you, stay tuned to the press this week because we're going to have some really exciting stuff coming out about our campaign. Noise. Ooh. Putting that link in the show notes. Uh, Julia, well, yeah, Julia, where can we find you online? Find me on Twitter at LoudmouthJulia, on Medium at LoudmouthJulia, and at Polygon just at Julia Alexander noise you can find yeah. me online at doom quasar on twitter and probably everywhere else and my videos at youtube.com slash polygon thanks again for listening to rocket uh we'll be back with you next week with our, our full and regular roster of hosts and thank you julia so much for pulling double duty you thank are you guys for having me the best christina replacement we've had so far yeah, we're going to say it. We're going to say it. The we're gonna closest go there. Christina replacement we've had. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, oh. And if you like this show, please uh, leave a good review on iTunes. We totally dig it when people do that thing that we love. Uh, this episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 Terminated.